Welcome to Planttopia. I'm your host, David Godori, and I'm a plant pathologist at Cornell University. Any listeners who have never met a real live plant pathologist can be forgiven. We are a very low visibility, but very high impact profession. We protect the world's food supply from disease-causing fungi, bacteria, viruses, and nematodes, all of which want to eat your lunch. This time on Planttopia. About 5% of the industry goes into fresh cranberry, so which is the cranberry that you will see all the way from Thanksgiving to Christmas. The holidays are upon us, and we wish you and yours a happy Thanksgiving. Our holiday meals might look a little different this year. It's difficult to pass the gravy over Zoom, but we find comfort in tradition. So, we bring you a story about a traditional holiday food, cranberries. Yeah, that's a massive uh, misconception, I think, about cranberry production. And even prior to working on them, I thought the same thing. I was ready, had my high boots, I was ready to go. And come to find out, I don't need them, actually, until around this time of the year. I'm a big fan of fresh cranberries, actually, raw, uncooked. They have a delicious tart flavor. Where do they come from? Are they really grown in water? Which pathogens are vying to ruin your Thanksgiving dinner? What challenges do cranberry growers face? And what exactly is ocean spray? That's all today on Plantopia. Hi, my name is Erika Salo Rojas, and I am an ocean spray ag scientist in Massachusetts. Hi, I'm Leslie Holland. I'm with UW-Madison, and I study fungal diseases of fruit crops. You've chosen to specialize in a really interesting crop. Tell us about that. So it's, you're absolutely right. So cranberry is probably one of the most unique crops that I've um, actually worked with or even heard of. I am the ag scientist in ocean spray, which means, yes, I do use my plant pathology background. But over the last couple of years, I've actually expanded into giving a little bit of uh, or learning more about the background and anything that has to do with growing cranberries. So it's been a steep learning curve, but I'm using the, the background that I have in plant pathology, which means plant diseases, looking at the issues that growers might have on the cranberries. But I also look into the insect or pest problems, weed problems, fertilizer, and uh, all the other stuff that has to do with any agricultural operation from the field standpoint. Most people have seen cranberries, but they've seen them in the supermarket. I don't know how many people have actually seen what a cranberry plant looks like or where they're grown or has a, a really precise idea of where in North America cranberries come from. So let's start with where the cultivation started. And it started off right here in Massachusetts. The Native Americans were using cranberry well before it was cultivated. But then the actual cultivation, or this is how the history goes, began in the early 1800s. And this was by Captain Henry Hall. And this was a Revolutionary War veteran uh, in Massachusetts, I believe, on Cape Cod in Dennis. And he noticed that wild cranberries that were uh, growing in, in so these are natives, they were growing in the bogs. They grew better when 
the sand blew over them and they started to produce a little bit more um, vines, which is how the plant grows. It's actually a trailing vine, which I wasn't familiar with at all until I set foot on an actual bog. The canopy is very, very short, close to the ground, and cranberry plants produce vines that run across the bed. So it's actually a very cushiony, dense, matted layer of vines growing throughout an entire bed. So after Captain Henry Hall noticed that the wild cranberries were growing better when sand blew over, he decided to transplant cranberry vines and started spreading sand all over them. Um, when people in the region realized that this is how cranberries grew and that they actually did very well in what swampy areas, wetlands, um, and actually a lot of uh, glacial kettle pots is what we have here in Massachusetts, the cultivation began and it really, really took off at the beginning of the 1900s. So we often see pictures of the harvesting of cranberries and it looks like it's actually done in what appears to be a pond. Yes, and so those were originally, a lot of them, and you will notice if even if you look from an aerial or a satellite photo that a lot of those are highly irregular. And a lot of those were originated from, well, back in the glacial times when there were um, deposits and they formed this kettle ponds. That seems to be the perfect environment for cranberries to start growing. And so a lot of the people here in Massachusetts took the what were already those kettle ponds to plant the cranberries in them. And it happens that the soil, the sand, the clay, and the peat under it is a really great environment for cranberries to grow. Is, uh, is Massachusetts the only place where they're grown? No. So we can grow. So after Massachusetts, New Jersey uh, followed in the cultivation of cranberry. Now, currently, there are cranberries all over North America, including so starting from East Coast to West Coast, a little bit north of Massachusetts. There's definitely quite a bit of cranberries being grown in Quebec. Then as we move a little bit farther west, the Wisconsin is definitely pretty big as a cranberry producer. And there's also some production in Washington, Oregon, and British Columbia. And those are the main regions. More recently, or relatively recently, um, cranberries were planted and grown in, and they are being cultivated in Chile, in South America. You happen to be located in one of the major production areas for this crop in, in Wisconsin. What, what can you tell us about Wisconsin cranberries? It's incredible to be in a state that produces uh, the majority of cranberries for, for the U.S. I think roughly 60% cranberry production is in Wisconsin. Um, and so a lot of that production is located north of where I am in Madison. And I've had the opportunity to travel to several marshes. Um, but cranberry production is fascinating. It's one of the few native fruit crops we have in the U.S. And it makes it a very interesting crop to study. Uh, they're essentially grown as, I mean, they're, they're a woody evergreen and they're grown as these long vines in these marshes, um, usually kind of in a sandy environment. Um, and the soil tends to be fairly acidic, which contributes to that kind of tart taste we get when we have cranberries. Um, and interestingly enough, I learned recently, there's not a lot of bacterial diseases 
on cranberry. Um, and I think that seems to be due in part to the fact that it is such an acidic environment that they're growing in. So as a pathologist, I found that really fascinating. And especially as a pathologist uh, that likes to work on fungi, <laughs> primarily, this is, you know, seems like a, a, a dream come true um, because they do get fungal diseases. When we see them in popular culture or on commercials for their sale, we often see them floating about in a bog. And yet they're dry land plants. They're not naturally growing in water. That's correct. Yeah, that's a massive uh, misconception, I think, about cranberry production. And even prior to working on them, I thought the same thing. I was ready, had my high boots, I was ready to go and come to find out I don't need them actually until around this time of the year, uh, September, October. Um, so yeah, they are dry land. Uh, they're grown as a vine that spreads across in a bush on these very short shoots, uh, kind of vertical shoots called uprights. Um, and they produce the fruit on those various uprights. People always ask, so do cranberries grow in water? And I can see why this has been a misconception because the most beautiful part of the cranberry crop or at least what the general public will definitely be more involved with or more exposed to is the harvest time. So water is a tool for cranberry management, but cranberries don't grow in water. The majority of the year, aside from harvest and winter time, when we use water to protect cranberries, uh, cranberries are not growing in water. They're actually being irrigated like any other crop. So is the market divided at all into, uh, say, processing cranberries and those that are sold as fresh fruit? Or is it all just one big harvest? Oh, that's a great question. So back um, before the 1950s or 60s, most of the cranberries were handpicked. Um, they were scooped up directly from the beds. And this actually, although not efficient, it allowed for the fruit to be handled very gently, lasted very long. At that time, it was marketed as a holiday fruit. So a lot of the consumption was fresh. Nowadays, I can tell you that the about 5% of the industry goes into fresh cranberry. So which is the cranberry that you will see all the way from Thanksgiving to Christmas. And about 95% of the industry um, uses this wet picking method, which is highly efficient, a lot more efficient than scooping up the cranberries in, in uh, directly from the bed. And they will do what we call the wet pick. And this is, it all happens roughly around the same time, depends on the variety or the region. Can tell you that for most regions, uh, except for Chile and South America, which has the opposite seasons, our cranberry harvest can start as early as September all the way into November. And that'll be a combination of the holiday fruit, which is generally dry picked, and the processed cranberries, which will be wet picked. So what are the big biotic threats to cranberry production in Wisconsin? I'd say the biggest biotic threat would be cranberry fruit rot, which is a disease complex, um, which essentially means that this is uh, disease symptoms caused by 
different species of fungi. I think there have been over 10, maybe close to 12 different fungal species recorded associated with cranberry fruit rot. Um, And they differ in their ability to cause different symptoms. They come at certain times of the year um, and also differ in their, their ability to be aggressive or the severity on the berry. Sounds a bit like the disease you might get if you drank pond water. Uh, we're not sure what's <laughs> going to make you sick, but there's a lot of things in there that can right. do it. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Definitely. And so that seems to be the, the main concern for a lot of the cranberry growers, I would say, in Wisconsin and outside of Wisconsin as well, in the other uh, major producing states. Mm-hmm. So how does this mix of uh, potential pathogens get into a berry to cause this rot? Is there a particular stage when it can enter? Based on my understanding of this complex, it sounds like, so there's, they have field rot, they have soft rot, there's these kind of different distinctions of the rot that can occur. Um, And it seems to be well managed by most of the growers, but it sounds like they're laying down protective fungicides kind of during that bloom period during the summer. And those are used as preventatives. So those fungi are able to get in during that blossom period. um, But with the preventative fungicides, that prevents them from happening. So I think that's a critical point in the infection process. Um, And then I think later down the line, you can also get some post-harvest issues after the berries have been collected. And some of those fungi are also um, kind of within this fruit rot complex. So long range of possibility for infection, unfortunately. Plantopia is brought to you by the American Phytopathological Society, or APS, to honor the United Nations celebration of 2020 as the International Year of Plant Health. Healthy plants can help us solve world hunger, stabilize the world's climate, protect our forests, and add beauty to our lives. Now, back to the show. The harvesting of cranberries is has become almost a tourist attraction on on the Cape, and uh, it, it sort of rivals uh, going out to see the fall foliage. It's it's really beautiful to see these bogs just covered with floating cranberries. Um, but the pathologist in me sits there and looks at that and thinks, "What a wonderful environment for <laughs> fungi." <laughs> so, how much of the the problems that happen with uh, pathogens invading cranberries are a consequence of the way they're handled uh, in this uh, aquatic environment? So, you've actually touched on you know primarily why it's it's um, the the wet picking is so convenient. So the fruit that has been wet wet picked, it generally doesn't make it into the fresh fruit market precisely because of what you're touching on. It is a wet environment. The fruit are bruised. It can deteriorate very quickly. So, however, the wet pick, most of that fruit, at least here in Massachusetts, I can tell you that the majority of it that has been wet picked will go directly into freezers. Now, once in the freezers, they will last about two years. They have a two-year shelf life. And you'll notice this when you buy a bag of cranberries, you can put it in the freezer and it'll last a very, very long time. The remaining 5% or that fruit that is dry picked, um, the issues, because they're dry picked, they will last a lot longer storage life. A lot of our issues disease-wise actually happen earlier in the season during the bloom period and fruit set. 
that's when we have a lot of the fruit rot, which is our primary issue. Um, a lot of the pathogens, which are fungal species, we have over 12 different fungi. In fact, mostly earlier in the season, this is during bloom time and very, very early fruit set when the, when the fruit is really tiny and just developing. And that is our window for managing pathogens um, earlier on in the season. By the time you see the rot occurring at harvest, it's generally too late to do anything about it. So what are the big challenges to the continuation of cranberry production and how's the industry meeting those challenges? So labor, and I don't think that this is unique to cranberry, but it's probably a big conversation in agricultural landscape. Labor is an issue, getting good labor. Um, Water quality is definitely one of the issues. Um, I think for Massachusetts, um, high input costs are a pressing issue. And then when you add that into... This is the longest standing area with cranberries. So there's a lot of pest pressure, disease pressure um, that goes with it. Growers have to add a lot more agricultural inputs in managing their cranberries day to day than some of the other regions in which perhaps cranberries are a little bit newer. In many crops, as you, as you noted, there is this uh, very common challenge of, of labor. Labor required to manually harvest the crops. Uh, although there are efforts to uh, resolve that labor problem, there's also a very concerted effort across the board in many of these crops to replace manual labor with robotics and mechanical harvesting and, and mechanical agriculture. Uh, to a degree that we've never before experienced. Is there anything like this going on in cranberries? Probably. If I wanted to brag for cranberry growers, I'd have to say that they were the pioneers in mechanical um, or trying to come up with really creative or innovative strategies to reduce the labor. Um, you know, not as high tech as it is now, of course, but just the shift from what became the dry picking into the wet picking, which this happened in the 50s or the 60s, I find that brilliant. So someone, I don't know who, back in the day, decided that picking cranberries with a scoop and having all that labor out there was highly inefficient. And given the environment of where the cranberries are grown and the the capability of holding water or flooding an entire field, someone thought, well, why don't we flood the fields, Um, beat the berries off of the plants, corral them, which means grouping them to one side of of the bog or the bed and load them into the truck. And I wouldn't be able to speak about how um, the percentage of you know how much more efficient they became in labor, but I can tell you that significantly they caught they cut down the labor requirements for a single crop to who knows how many people at a hand at at a time to being able to harvest several acres within a couple hours with a five person crew, which is impressive. Um, so that is to give you a little bit 
of the background, that was one of the things that, that made me really like what I do and work with the growers, which is realizing how innovative they are. Um, and they continue that sort of innovation through and through. One of the things that is interesting about cranberries, aside from the plant itself, is that the industry is not quite big enough to get the attention from all the ag industry services, meaning there's not a lot of equipment that's designed for cranberry harvest or applications. So a lot of the innovation that growers do happens from their own shops. So it's not unique. It's not actually rare at all to find that cranberry growers will have their own shop where they weld their own machinery or they design their own equipment just out of necessity. Why should people eat more cranberries? Well, cranberries, and I know that some people might not agree, I'm a big fan of fresh cranberries, actually, raw, uncooked. They have a delicious tart flavor um, that whenever I'm out in the box and it's close to harvest and they have changed from green to that beautiful red color, I find them absolutely delicious. That is, if you like a little bit of a sour punch. Um, I I do. In fact, uh, I use them a lot in cooking as a substitute for raisins. So if you want something uh, that is a dried fruit to include in a recipe, you can get craisins or dried cranberries. Yes, and those are really good in savory and sweet dishes. I, I love the, the dried cranberries too. I also recommend, so they're actually a really good filler for smoothies. If you have leftovers and you put them in the freezer and you don't know what to what to do with them or you're not a baker like myself, I throw them into smoothies as ice cubes. And then it gets that really nice uh, texture that you want in a smoothie. But aside from that, cranberries, aside from how delicious they are, they're loaded with antioxidants. So the health benefits of cranberries go above and beyond um, some of the other some of the other fruits that are out there. So it's really worth incorporating into your diet. Everyone who's bought cranberries has seen the Ocean Spray logo, but what is Ocean Spray? So Ocean Spray has has its roots here in Massachusetts, and some people may know this, some people may not. It Ocean Spray is a grower-owned cooperative, and it goes all the way to the 1930s, so it's 100% grower-owned. So we have around 700 uh, cranberry growers across North America. So New New Jersey, Massachusetts, Wisconsin, Canada, Washington, Oregon. So they are my bosses. They are the owners of the of the organization and the company. It really does make the difference for me in working for industry um, over, you know, going to a company that's that's run for the profit or a board just knowing that I can work with the growers and knowing that they hired me to help growers makes a huge difference. And it's a, it's a big satisfaction of my job. Is it ever um, difficult having 700 bosses? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll leave it at that. (laughs) Yes. And part of the, what's, 
What's difficult about that is that although we're all working on Cranberry, there are unique situations for each of the regions. And there are some, even though they might seem small in the bigger picture, from the agricultural standpoint, there are some things that make each region unique. And that could be anywhere from the growing season. So a couple weeks here and there of how early or how late the harvest starts for some of the growers or which varieties might be more uh, adaptable to some of the regions, which may or may not be the variety that is being used for the craisins or the, the sweet and dried uh, cranberries. Because some of the you know, some of the regions might not have the conditions to have the berries or grow the ideal berry for that kind of product. And some of the other regions do. So trying to put all those in an agricultural operation and standardizing a product can sometimes be challenging. For more information about the International Year of Plant Health, visit us at planttopiapodcast.org. Thanks for listening. Our show is produced by John Bryce. Thanks also to Mark Gleason, Jim Bradeen, Laura Isles, and Roshni Karate. I'm your host, David Godori, and you've been listening to Plantopia. <laughs>